0: All right, here we go. It's episode 39 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined here by NBA expert. Got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. Uh, Mackenzie, we're going to go ahead. We're going to preview uh, the two games here on Sunday. Game 7 should be interesting. See who ends up in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals right now. Uh, we have two teams that are in Eastern Conference Finals. One team's going to be Miami and the Western Conference Finals. One team is going to be the Golden State Warriors. Mackenzie, before we go ahead and jump into the Sunday games, let's go ahead and let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about the series that are actually over right now. Uh, Philadelphia, the other day, they end up going down to the Miami Heat. I'm not happy about that. I thought Philadelphia was going to win that series. I think one of the things that some people had forgot about, you know, Joel Allenby did not play game one and two. I think that series would have been a little bit closer, but let's go back, you know, to some of the things that we saw on Twitter today. I just want your opinion on this. Philadelphia, Morey had said that Doc Rivers is going to come back. He's going to be, you know, the head coach of Philadelphia next year. And he hopes that Harden comes back. What do you make of the comments coming from Morey bringing back Doc and, and hopes that, you know, maybe Harden comes back? You know, what do you see Philly maybe doing going into next year to you know, go ahead and maybe make the finals next season? It sounds like they're not going to do much.
1: It sounds like they're going to bring Harden back. It sounds like they're going to bring Doc Rivers back. And let me just say, it sounds like it's very early in the process and reading some of Maury's quotes, it's it's not any, uh, obviously, there's nothing effusive about Doc Rivers or Harden. Like, this is what he said about Harden. The plan is to have him back. That's been the plan since the trade. Obviously, we have to work with his representation. That'll be between us to figure it out. So, it sounds like he's going in for, like, a dental, exa- or a dental procedure. Like, he's not very excited about the next few months of trying to say, no, James Harden scoring, you know, 19 points a game on 40% shooting in the playoffs. I can't give you 250 million for the next five years, but maybe 203. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Cause once it's, it, it goes fast in the NBA. Look at John wall. John wall was a franchise player and he's played 70 games the last three years. And they, they asked him politely before the season, could you please not play this year? The Houston Rockets did. So I don't know if Harden has fallen off a cliff that much. I mean, he was still throwing up nine assists a game. That's helpful on a basketball court. But I think they're going to explore all options and I wouldn't be surprised if Harden isn't back next year. I mean, I think it's probably 70/30 that Harden's back just because what what is the alternative? There's not a lot of, you know, max guys that are that are
0: available and you already have this guy, you know, in in the stable. I got to wonder if there's any team out there that would actually pay Harden, you know, what what his asking price is. No, there isn't. I'm pretty sure there's not. I don't think so. So, in my opinion, I think he should stay in Philadelphia. I currently like the team. I think that you know he he wasn't there all season long. You know they were trying to mix in guys like Maxi and Embiid and, and everybody else out there. So maybe another year for me. I'm not big on Doc Rivers. You know our our one of our buddies that we work with on Pregame.com, Smooth. He was he's really against him. He was telling me all season long, it's you know one of the problems with Philadelphia is the coaching. It's Doc Rivers. I never really took notice McKenzie too much to you know to how he coaches, but you no know, in the in the Miami series I did take note of you know Spolstra and watching him and he's up and down the court. He's standing up, you know, he's in in the refs here, in the players here constantly, and I look at Doc Rivers and he's he's sitting down on on the chair. Some guys might be able might be able to do that very well, but. I think they need like a, a six man of the year kind of off the bench, kind of like a tire hero type because when Harden and Embiid ended up off the floor, you know, for an extended period of time, that's kind of when Philadelphia fell apart. So I think there are some things that they can add. I think maybe a six man of the year type of player uh, would be a big help for them. And I, I don't agree with, you know, with, with Rivers coming back. I just, I, I, I would like to see a coaching change. I think they can get far more out of that offense. than than what they got into the last couple games. Look, obviously the last podcast wasn't my best prediction
1: podcast. I had the Sixers. I had the Celtics. They both lost. Coming into the series, especially once Embiid was back or projecting that Embiid would be there, I thought they would get better shots and I thought they would make them and I thought they'd win. I thought the Heat, you know, four through eight or three through eight were just so far inferior. When you have Maxie and Harris, uh, you know, complementing two all-star players. I think Harden is still at that level, an all-star quality player, if you know, top twenty five player in the league. And then I look at the shot quality. This this uh, this website that we've been looking at, shotquality.com and examining its numbers. And the Heat went five and one in the series. They had the best performance of any team in the second round, but they missed all their shots. They missed all their shots. Embiid didn't have a prop one game because he was just coming back. He was 0 for three. Of going under his props three times in a row. Harden, he had that one fourth quarter, one that one shining moment, 16 points in the fourth quarter. AJ Hoffman dug into these numbers today. 15 points the other five fourth quarters combined. Not very good. He went one and five with his points prop. And Tobias Harris went two and four to his points prop. So you could say bad shooting. Maybe it was uh, you know, the the drama of getting him beat back and that mental energy taken out of them is why they just kind of wilted in the end I don't think that I think I think Spolstra after game four was really telling when he was like yeah we got good shots and we missed them but that's no excuse you can scrape together wins here or there I don't feel that intensity with Doc Rivers I think he's a players coach that uh you know people like to play for because a lot of golfing (laughs) a lot of Wednesdays off but I don't think he's the guy there and I do agree with the rumors that are that are gurgling uh, that Dantoni is is uh is positioning himself. There's a reason he hasn't taken that Hornets job. There's a reason he hasn't, you know, looked at the kings or anything like that. I think he wants the band to get back together with Maury and Dantoni and Harden and then you add Embiid in there. So I think that's the direction
0: that they end up going in. That would be great and I would love to see that. You know let's talk about Miami for a second. I didn't have a whole lot of faith in them, McKenzie. I thought they were a player too short. I still think that they are a player too short. What do you make of that team going into Eastern Conference Finals?
1: Now, it seems that 90% of the conversation about this series has been the Sixers, so that's probably a little skewed because they have the you know sexier names. But I'll say this about the Heat. They have a leader in Jimmy Butler. James Harden had nine shots in Game 6, which was a tied for a playoff low. It was actually tied for his lowest amount of shots ever as a starter in the NBA playoffs, you know, hundreds of games, lowest Jimmy Butler, 29 shots. Yeah, it was inefficient, but he got his 29 points, his playoff high. So he took on the most burden when it was called upon him in uh, an elimination game. And James Harden did the opposite. So I think that was pretty telling. And I think that he'd have a puncher's chance. I think they're the worst team in the East left. I think the Celtics and the Bucks are better than them, but they beat the Celtics in 2019. They have that you know in their belt. Two years later, though, is J- I think Jason Tatum's grown up. Giannis has obviously grown up to be the NBA champion, NBA Finals MVP. So I would have uh, either the Bucks or the Celtics favored. Probably if it's the Celtics, I'd have it min- minus 160, even though they don't have home court advantage. And if it's the Bucks, it'd probably be like minus 130, minus 140. So a close series, but I would definitely favor the uh, the winner of Game Seven. However. Uh, you were bringing this up before we started. Uh, it's going to be a quick turnaround for either of those teams. Yeah.
0: So we have the game seven on Sunday between the Bucks and the Celtics, and then they have to turn right around and play game one on the road in Miami on Tuesday. Without a doubt, without even looking at the line right now, I would probably go ahead and take Miami. No, it's not going to be easy, you know, going ahead and, and playing, you know, a seven-game series against, the you know, the champs or, you know, for – Milwaukee having to go on the road, game seven, turn right back around, go back on the road again. I would probably favor Miami, but give credit where credit's due. Miami played well. Here they are. I think they're trouble, though, McKenzie, Not only for the fact of the quick turnaround, but you know, if Jimmy Butler can go ahead and continue to play at that elite level, I think one player that probably benefits more than anybody is going to be Bam because he doesn't have Embiid in his face. Boston right now, their weakness is at the center position because they have guys that are hurt. I would give Miami a pretty good chance. You said you, you thought minus 180. I would actually have that line a little bit lower. The fact that Miami is going to be, you know, the beneficiary of the quick turnaround, the fact that they do have home court advantage. I think there is a maybe some X's and O's advantages for Miami as well. So I would make that line just a little bit lower. But they got to get through the champs first. You know, Milwaukee went ahead. They, they've won games already in this series on the road. So. We'll see how that all shakes out. But that'll wrap up the Eastern Conference. Let's move over to Western Conference. So the Warriors ended up wrapping up here uh, in game six there at home. I think a lot of us expected that McKenzie, they got blown out against Memphis. I, I They were down like, what was it, like almost 50 points in that game. I expected them to come out here and play play some pretty good basketball. You know, what do you make of Memphis going into next year? You know, John's up sitting out a couple games. I think that team potentially could could actually get worse. Because I feel like there's a lot of guys on that roster that could be looking for paychecks. I think Jones, you got Clark, you have Brooks, you have Bain. There could be some guys that might say, you know what, if I can't get the money that I want here, why not go ahead and move on, you know, outside, of you know, away from this team. So I do worry about that. I think there's some potential moves that they can make to get better. I don't have a whole lot of faith in Memphis, you know, going ahead and winning a title next year. I'm not sure what you make of them going into next year, but, you know, what what moves do you think they potentially could make to get better, too?
1: In the 80s, Pat Riley coined the term the disease of more. Now, generally, that is thought to be of when a team wins a championship or two and, you know, Kevin Durant wants his own team or et cetera, et cetera. Magic Johnson wants this and that. I don't even remember what the disease of more could have been in the Lakers because they seem to win. So they seem to avoid that disease or at least get the treatment The Memphis Grizzlies obviously just didn't win a championship. They were eliminated. There's six teams left now. They were the seventh team left in the tournament. Much, much better than expectations. They almost feel like a championship season in that they completely re-energized that fan base. They uh, they were on the talk shows. They were in the conversation. And now what? I mean, they have a lot of guys that want to play. I want to play a lot of minutes. I mean, you go to each position, they have... Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, all on the wing. In the middle, they have Jaron Jackson, Steven Adam. You could argue Brandon Clark belongs in that group too. Tillman. They have enough guys that want to play. So I think they got to do, they got to trade quarters for dollars. Whether it's, I mean, I'm not sure. You never know who might be available, but I think just for an example, getting Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain to, to like like Megatron into one better player would be the way to go. Like Paul George, for example, I think would be a great uh, Robin to John Morant because let's face it, not good on defense. And it's a completely different style of basketball. It's more than than that. He's just not good positionally. It seems like they don't even play in the same kind of Grizzlies, grit and grind mentality when he's there. I mean, the numbers bear it out. 14 points, 14 points more allowed per game in games that John Morant was there. And they actually did a little better on offense if you throw out the last three games of the season where nobody played when John Morant wasn't there. So George Reister, Fox Sports Radio colleague. Uh, I'm not sure if I can say that. I won't say any other Fox Sports colleagues of mine. In the, now, in the future, I'm not allowed to, uh, you know, even football players or et cetera. But he asked the question, can somebody please explain the Grizzlies with and without John Morant? No team is better without a closer who was a top 15 NBA player. But the Grizzlies win more without him. Make it make sense. Well, the numbers have been consistent all year. They started out twelve and zero. They ended up wrapping up their season twenty seven and one against the spread without Jaw. But if you throw out the last three games of the season, where it wasn't just Jaw missing, but Jackson missing, everybody missing, so I think it's pretty fair that those games aren't part of our sample. Competitive basketball without Jaw, they were twenty one and four against the spread. And this is a concept in basketball that fascinates me because no way you could watch a Grizzlies game with Morant in there and say he's not important. He does everything for that team. They play very Morant-focused when he's in there. However, they have this, it's like the B-side of a record. They have a completely different vibe and feel without John Morant that's also excellent. So those two things, it's kind of like the Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks things. You want them to be one. You want to maximize John Morant's offensive ability but still build this team that goes eight deep and that's, you know, one of the toughest teams in basketball. How do they do that? Morant's a young guy. I'm sure they'll get better on defense. I think they got to make sure to coach it though. They got to say, Hey, if you're scoring 28 a game and we're giving up 120, you know, you're going to, you're not going to play as many minutes or you're not, you know, I think this was the season to let him go most improved player of the year to let him. uh, you know have his fun, have his dunks of the year and make it all about that. I think this summer going into next season, it has to it has to coalesce. You have to be part of one of the best te- defensive teams in basketball to win a championship. That was true with Steph Curry, that was true with LeBron James. That is just a fact of life in the NBA. So we'll see if they if they make that adjustment or at least start heading in that direction. They obviously have a great foundation, great drafters, great coach in Taylor Jenkins. So they, you got to be excited for the prospects of the Grizzlies. Even though You know, this is a big question mark. Why are they so much
0: better without John Morant? I don't know if they'll go like a Paul George type of route. I feel like there are guys in this league that are kind of aging stars. And I feel like that that team is just so youthful, so much youth around them, that maybe they go for, you know, a more of a, you know, a little bit younger player who, you know, has the same exact upside or maybe the the same exact potential as a Paul George. I don't know. How about the Warriors though, McKenzie? We both expected them to go ahead and move on in this series. But they look sluggish. You know, maybe the fact that John didn't play, maybe there was a lack of motivation. maybe there were just things rumbling you know throughout the locker room that they were just so much better in his team. they were so much younger. I wasn't exactly thrilled with the games that they put together. We go through and we look at the results of each game, even though they won this series, I think that they that you can argue that they could have very well lost this series. They didn't look like NBA champions to me. Uh, throughout this entire series. No,
1: I thought for much of the night that this is proof that the Phoenix Suns are the best team in the West. They looked really, really bad. They looked I mean they rebounded great. They had the most rebounds of any team in the league this season, 70. That's because there were so many misses going around. There and that I think boils down to it. Where yes, offensively games four, five, and six were were poor, were really poor. A lot of turnovers. I mean they had seven turnovers in the first quarter tonight three straight in the third quarter that were just completely inexplicable, just like throwing it to nobody. Then again, you look up at the end of the day and look up at the scoreboard, and they won by 14. I think we forget this was the second best defense in basketball. The Celtics were putting up historic numbers. They were number one. And number two for the full season, even with all their guys in and out, was the Golden State Warriors. How much do you think Steve Kerr not being there kind of set the tone? I don't think generally NBA coaches – often matter on a game-to-game basis. I think it's about building a team and building a culture, and then pretty much the best players take it from there. However, that the, the fact that Kerr missed with COVID, he's still out, combined with John Morant going out, set this weird tone around. And I wonder if it was just a it was a weird vibe with in the locker room like you're talking about where the Grizzlies are so youthful, so hungry, so like tough and physical. And the Grizzlies are like, all right, well, we, we gotta win this. Let's make sure we get enough threes up. And there was there was a lack of intensity. That said, when when we're talking about your lack of intensity and your poor play and your you know lots of turnovers after you win again, that's that's a good thing. The Warriors have done this. I think that's why I'm not so worried. I didn't downgrade them after the last few games. I mean, I obviously didn't upgrade them, they looked bad, but I didn't downgrade them. I think that experience will come back. Uh, in the long term. So here's the stat that kind of sets what this dynasty has been. The Warriors, and this is from ESPN Stats and Info, the Warriors are the seventh team with 21 playoff series wins in a 10-season span in NBA history. So they got last 10 years, they won 21 playoff series. So you win four playoff series, you win a championship. 10 years, they won 21. So like two and a half series, that's pretty good. It's like getting into conference finals most years. So the other teams that have done that historically, Kobe and Shaq's Lakers in the 2000s, Tim Duncan and Parker and Ginobili in the 2000s, Jordan's Bulls, Magic's Lakers, Bird's Celtics, Russell Celtics. That's it. That's the list. So it's pretty impressive stuff. I think if there's one team in the NBA that can look lackadaisical and actually it's kind of excusable, I think it's the Warriors because they knew they were good enough to win this, especially once Morant went down. They just had to, uh, you know,
0: grit and bear it and get through some rough games, but end up with end up on the right side of the score sheet. I know you saw Draymond at the end of the game where they were getting blown out. He was out there standing on on the Grizzlies court, swinging the towel around out there dancing. It it was kind of a joke. But when I saw that, I immediately thought this team has absolutely zero worries that they're going to beat this team at home when they get back to Golden State. Well, it's a good thing he
1: was. It's a good thing he was spinning that towel around because the Warriors won the fourth quarter of that awful 38-point loss in Game 5. They won it by 13. So they were down by 50. They were down by 51 entering the fourth quarter. They had to pull out a miraculous fourth quarter win just to save some face and only lose by, what, 39 points. So what does that say? They're extremely confident? or They're probably too confident then. But then again, that's the kind of playoff grit you get when you get three championships you know that there's going to be ups and downs and you trust the process you're going to get there in the end you have the better players you should no reason not to well it'll be
0: interesting to see how they react you know when we get to the western conference finals uh they're going to either face dallas or phoenix and we have game seven on sunday let's start with that game that's going to be the late game because as of right now the bucks and celtics uh, the only thing we really have is a side in total we don't have a i don't think we have any half timelines and we don't have any first quarter or any any player props so Let's start with Dallas and Phoenix. You have a best bet in this game. I have a best bet in this game. So you guys are going to get some early best bets. Currently, right now, Phoenix is minus six. Total in this one, 205.5. I like the Dallas Mavericks in the last game in Phoenix not to be the case. You were on the opposite side of me. You were right. Mavericks got blown out. I don't think that game happens again here, McKenzie. I lean to Dallas again, but I'm just, I'm so afraid to go ahead and back them. They, they haven't covered this number yet on the road. I don't necessarily know what to do with the side or the total. You kind of like a total on this one. What were you looking at? Well, I like the Mavericks team total under
1: 100 and a half. If there is an ever an illustration of how Vegas doesn't overreact, this is the series. Game one, Suns were six. Six-point favorites. They win by seven. They were up by big, but they end up get, giving up the lead. Still cover, win by seven. Game two, they win by 20. O- exact opposite scenario. It's tight all the way. They win by 20 with a huge fourth quarter where they shot 15 for 18. Best shooting quarter of the series. Game three, you see the zigzag series. They were actually zigzag theory applied. They were actually dogs for the only time in this series in game three. They lose that game in a close one. Lose game four. Blow out by 30. You're right. I was right on that one. Win by 30. And then in a very rare instance one team wins by 30 the next game one team wins by 27 and vegas after all of this noise has shrugged it all off the suns are still a six-point favorite it was actually only the eighth or sorry seventh time in nba playoff history our database goes back to 2003 anyway A team won by 25 then lost by 25 last time it happened was 2017 with the spurs and rockets that was the uh Leonard got hurt and Harden didn't show up game and 2016 famously game three and game game two and game three flipped 30 point wins for either side so this thing's this thing happens I don't think there's a lot to take from it other than that these are good coaches good teams making adjustments I've kind of leaned to the Suns this whole this whole series I think I think I think the Mavericks are too hamstrung having to go to Luca for most of their offensive possessions. Jalen Brun- Brunson kind of like a role player showed up at home a little bit more than he has on the road in this series. I see that continuing. So Brunson 21 points per game at home. This series only 14 on the road. I just don't think they have enough firepower to stay in it. I lean to the Suns. Don't like it though. My best bet is the Mavericks under team total. I want to fade Brunson, Finney Smith, Maxi Kleber, all the guys, not Luca, uh, I want to fade them. I don't think they're going to have big games. I think the Suns' home crowd will be as raucous as any building this season. So that's my best bet. Mavericks under 100 and a half team total.
0: All right. I love that. You know, going back to this series, this has been kind of a weird one, but I feel like this is the series where home court has mattered the most. These games really haven't been all that competitive. I mean, we've had a bunch of blowouts. Neither team has lost at home. And that's that's my big concern here. We're going ahead and, and trying to back Dallas. Could they go into this game and get smashed? I, I think they can. Maybe I'm holding out just hope that you know the fact that they won these games at home that that, that maybe they can transfer that over onto the road. But this series is, is it's just it's not telling you that that's probably the wise thing to do. Here's the wise thing to do though: is to go ahead and bet Luca under eight and a half assists. You can get that on FanDuel right now. But Luca hasn't gone over his assists this number in any game yet on the road this entire playoffs. And if this game is going to be, you know, a 206 total, McKenzie's best bet is on a Dallas Mavericks team total under. And we're assuming that Luka is going to be the bulk of the offense. I don't know how he gets over his assists, you know, for this particular game. I feel like I feel like I've been behind a little bit, you know, with this particular prop it's right now five and oh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm late to, I'm late to the party with this one, but I feel like this is the strongest time, out of the five games at this cash i feel like this one in particular that this is the one that that really is the strongest so i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna give that out luka Doncic under eight and a half assists. not sure if you stamp approval that one there mckenzie but i felt like that was the strongest play for me going into this game
1: 100 percent consider my approval stamped a lot of numbers are backing you up i'm gonna rattle them off here so game sevens in general are rock fights especially when there's an extra day rest. So 62% under since 2003, our full database, Game 7s have gone under. When there's more than one day of rest, so the coaches have one more day to plan and and for the players to worry and for the tension to be built up. With more than one day of rest for NBA Game 7 since 2003, NBA teams have gone over three times and gone under 10 times, including eight out of the last nine. So I think especially here where we've seen a lot of tinkering with the lineups, whether they're blitzing Chris Paul full court, how they're guarding Luka, I think there's a lot of wrinkles that can make it very difficult to score, kind of like Lakers-Celtics game seven back in the day, 2010, just no chance of getting close to the total. So the fact that that occurs, and then your 5-0 and trend is exactly what I'm talking about. Role players, which I think Doncic assists is a perfect proxy for role players. How are they shooting? have underperformed five straight times when Luca is on the road. So that's exactly, perfectly fits with the trend. The last two numbers that I think crystallizes why Doncic under eight and a half assists is a great bet is twofold. One, his points prop is as high as it's been all season high as it's been this series, 34 and a half. Despite the fact that the total is eight points lower than in game one, Luka's still expected to be that much of the bulk of the offense. They're not letting you bet over at a, at a cheap price. Second is that this assist prop is eight and a half, which was it, which is what it was in games one, two, three, and four, and five and six. Why is it not changing? If Luca is expected to score more, the team is expected to score less. Something has to give, and I think you're right. I think we've identified where they made a
0: mistake, not adjusting this number downward. Even though it's Luca, I think there is a potential that the books actually adjust this down. I believe the correct number is seven and a half minus 120 the fact that right now that's listed at eight and a half minus 120 it's a play. it's a play I have to make so I'm gonna go ahead and give that out as my best bet Luka Doncic under his eight and a half assist McKenzie I do want to bring this up real quick before we go ahead and close out the podcast just something that I kind of was glancing over and then I was thinking about it do you have any idea how teams in game seven have done at home because it seems like you know over the last I don't know it's maybe like two weeks or so at least for you know round round two that these home teams have just been so much more dominant than than in like round one. Yes, the numbers back you up there. So, in,
1: first of all, home teams are have been better than fifty percent ATS in every round, which is surprising because if you ever listen to me do an NBA podcast, I am often telling you bet road teams, and I still believe that over twenty thousand games of NBA action, road teams are fifty one percent ATS, but not in the playoffs. In the playoffs, the better teams get more home games, and they've we've talked about favorites doing well. They've done well. So better than 50%. However, there's only two rounds we're betting every home team would have been profitable since 2003, and it's rounds two, this round, and rounds three. Round one, 50.5% ATS, all home teams. not Nothing special. Round two, this round, 53%. That's a profitable number. We like that. Round three, right below that, 528 And in the finals, it drops to 51%. So I like your theory. We're talking off air. You have a, a strong theory, I think, that applies to
0: why this is the round where home teams do the best. I would assume that round one is, you know, you're getting these teams, especially right now, McKenzie, I think with the plan that you're not getting, you know, the greatest playoff teams, but you're getting teams that you know, are at home and favored by a decent chunk number. And it's like, we don't have to worry about these guys at all. And then I think... You know, when you get to the finals that you end up with the two best teams and and road teams, you know, can go in and steal games because they probably have done uh, a good amount of stealing games on the road, you know, throughout their entire playoffs. So I could see, you know, round two and three being the series that you want to go ahead and look to back more home teams, especially, you know, in game seven, if you do get there. This has been the year where that theory has been best 17 and eight after
1: tonight. It's almost 70 percent against the spread. Every home team, and in this series, it's been a home series. However, it's almost uh, it's inherited wisdom. It's it's known that home teams dominate game sevens. There was a period in NBA history between 1982 and 1995 where 21 out of 21 home teams ended up winning that game seven. There was a period in, in the 50s, all the way to 1966, where zero road teams. Won a game seven. All the home teams won. However, that is very much accounted for in the market. And I don't think the value now is on home teams. Home teams since the 2018 playoffs. So we've seen totals go up. We've seen the game change. Home teams since the 2018 playoffs. Just two and eight against the spread. With the total so much lower, it kind of makes sense that they're getting priced out. I mean, think about it. The Suns were expected to score... 214 points in game one, only 206 about right now, but they're supposed to win by the same margin. It, you know, It's kind of illogical, and we've seen four different times out of the last 10, a team win game seven and not cover. These are often very tight last possession games. That's why the six points is not something I'll be interested
0: for the Suns game seven. Well, you cease to amaze me, Mackenzie. You know, I, I think I know how to frustrate you. If I asked you to train me how you do what you just did, It would probably drive you crazy because if people listening, if you guys don't know, Mackenzie looks his stuff up on the fly and he could rattle off all these numbers without having to pause and and take breaks and stuff like that. It's just interesting on, you know, from my end, knowing that he's, he's sitting there clicking and punching all these numbers and stuff like that. And he's, he's just rattling off stuff. It's pretty amazing. But yeah, Mackenzie, you're gonna have to train me up on that one of these days. You're gonna have to move out to Vegas, man. I've been trying to get you out here for what? 18 months? Yeah, yeah. Well maybe it's in the works. We'll see. Hopefully everything's hopefully everything will work out uh this upcoming off season. McKenzie, let's go ahead and let's jump over to the Bucks and the Celtics. We have the early game here on Sunday. Current line in this one, Celtics minus five. We have a total of two oh eight and a half. As I mentioned, we don't have a whole lot of props and stuff on this game right now. I don't know what to do in this one, McKenzie. Here's my two worries. One, that Boston freezes up. The Bucks have been here before. Giannis has been in these big games. Holiday, Lopez, Connaughton—you go up and down the list. Bobby Portis. These guys have all been in these type of games, and I know that they will perform at a championship level because they're a championship team. I do worry about Boston, but I got to go back and take ownership. I felt like I pushed you, um, probably in the last best bet that we gave out with the Celtics. I felt like I pushed you kind of over the edge, you know, with Boston there. And, and I kind of I felt really strong about that that wager, and I still feel that Boston could come in here and win this game by more than a couple buckets. I mean, we go back to that game when they were at home. They end up, what, up double digits, more than like two or three times in that game. I felt like they were dominating that game. But the Bucks ended up executing, not on offense and not on defense, on both sides, um, defensively. Drew Holiday, just, he just he shut it down. And, I, and I, I had a sour taste in my mouth. So I just have a sour taste in my mouth right now with Boston. I would lean that way, but I feel like there is a chance that they could freeze up and the champs can go in here and win. They've already won here already in this series on the road. So I'm going to pass this game, McKenzie. I don't like the total at all. I don't. I just don't feel super confident right now uh, in anything with this. More than likely, I'll probably attack player props when they drop. Probably uh, More than likely, probably tomorrow. So I'm going to look for that. The best thing for me to do is just go ahead and pass. So I'll go ahead. I'll pass it over to you. How are you feeling for the Bucs and Celtics?
1: Well, I was definitely encouraged hearing you and Smooth talk about the Celtics and agreeing with me. I will say I played the Celtics each of the last three games and four out of the last five. So I didn't need a lot of convincing to be on Boston. I think they're the best team in the league right now. And I think without Middleton, Drew Holiday has shown to be, it's funny, he's probably maybe had his best defensive series. He's looked like, like a, a, a faster Scottie Pippen in this series. He's just been everywhere. But offensively, there's no way a guy like Drew Holiday needs to be taking 28 shots in a game, 30 shots in a game. So that said, I still lean to Boston. However, I'm not going to play the minus five because it's the same thing I was just talking about. They were four and a half point favorites in game one with a total of 218 and a half. Now the t- total's 208 and a half, 10 points lower and they're a five-point favorite. So there's less margin to be had, and they're expected to get a bigger slice of that pie. Wouldn't be surprised at all with Giannis, best player in the world, was in this situation last year to show up big and make it very close and maybe even steal this one. Giannis is really playing with house money right now. I mean, think about it. Last year in Brooklyn, Game 7, overtime win, he played completely uh, at least plays to parity with Kevin Durant in that game. And they win it and they win the championship. Now, next year, same round, considered one of the best teams in the league, if not the best, the Celtics, underdogs in the series, game seven on the road. If he's able to do that back-to-back years, that is the stuff of legend. And if he's not, well, you can't win them all. You can't win every game seven. You know, your second-best offensive player is not there. Yeah, you're probably expected to lose. And in fact, they were expected to lose. This line came out as about minus 160, was pushed to minus 210 the Celtics were a favorite after Middleton was announced out before Game 1. And it's kind of ironic, Before right now, before Game 7, it's exactly Celtics minus 210, plus plus one eighty six data points and absolutely zero change to who we think, odds on, is going to win this series. I do have a play, though. I do like the Celtics' bucks to go under the 209, available right now at DraftKings, this is similar to the conversation we were just having. Obviously, games another game seven. Here's another little, little, little kicker, though. I've talked about this before. NBA early start times in the playoffs have been dynamite. The earlier, the better for unders. So since 2003, 56% of the time, if a game starts before 1 o'clock Eastern, it goes under. This starts at 1230. It makes sense. It's, it's people They're a little sleepy, a little hard to get up. Especially with the, with the nerves ratcheted up of the playoffs, it's hard to get into that sweat going where you're, you're feeling comfortable. So I expect this to be a rock fight. I expect this to be close throughout. And I like the under 209. All right, Mackenzie,
0: I don't disagree with that at all. But I do disagree with one thing that you did say. As you said, you felt that the Boston Celtics were the best team in the league right now. If Chris Middleton's playing in this series, do you think we're even having this conversation? I'm not necessarily sure that we are, because I believe the three-point line has been the Bucks' kind of kryptonite in this particular series. I mean, go back to the last game, the game that the Bucks just lost on their home floor. They were outshot from the three-point line by what was it, plus ten for Boston. So I wonder if they are the best team, and if Middleton is, you know, we playing in this series, you know, are we going back to Boston for a Game Seven? That that's that's one of my concerns. I think, me personally. I think you know where I stand with this. I think the Warriors are the best team. I think that they win the title. So it sounds like you think Boston's going to go, and do you think the Warriors go or not? Uh, Those are the
1: two teams that are in the consideration for me. Oh, actually, the Phoenix Suns are, are not far off. I just think the data is starting to get overwhelming, where this team is beating teams by 15 points a game since January pretty much. In the playoffs, they blow out Kevin Durant's nets four times in a row. And in this series, I'd argue that they've won, you know, on paper six out of the seven times. They lost two coin flips. They lost a game where they were up by one in game three with 20 seconds or a minute to go. Giannis gets a bucket. Jason can't match it, and they ended up losing. And the game we bet, they actually won by seven according to shot quality, 104.97. So not only were they supposed to win, they were supposed to cover the five and a half. Gosh, darn it. That game was ridiculous. That game, they that mentioned it. They were up 14 with eight minutes to go. Giannis falls down with seconds to go. They're up by two. Doesn't look like a foul, but they call a foul. But, okay, Giannis is not the best free throw shooter. He misses. It, it jumbles around like a pinball machine. It somehow ends up in Bobby Portis' hands. He makes a bucket. For the first time all game, the Bucks were up with five seconds to go. That was just a coin flip, and they happened to win it. They happened to win two coin flips in a row. But I think even with Middleton, it's a closer series. But the Celtics are winning this series on average by four and a half points a game against arguably a top four team in the league in the Bucs. I think they're showing that they are the best right now. Warriors and Suns, I think, are
0: behind them, you know, maybe by a point. Well, one of the interesting things is that, you know, as we've been doing these podcasts for the last couple of weeks, you know, you and I, we seem to agree on quite a bit. But it's going to be interesting, Mackenzie, if it is the Warriors against the Celtics, trying to figure out how the hell we're going to find something to agree on you know, when that series comes <laughs> comes down to it, if that is, in fact, you know what the NBA Finals is. So it'll be interesting, but you guys will have to keep on tuning in here. Hopefully we go ahead and we cash our best bets. I think that we will. Uh, Mackenzie Rivers is going to go ahead and take the Mavericks under their team total of 100 and a half. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Luka Doncic under his eight and a half assists for my best bet. But that'll wrap up the pod, guys. You guys know where to find us on Twitter, sleepyj underscore pregame, at Rivers. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to the podcast, but that'll wrap up episode 39 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games.